Hey listeners, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. I'm your host, Jen, and this is that itty-bitty little podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. Today, Laura joins me so we can finally talk about season four of Mr. Robot. We've been waiting so long to get to this amazing last season with all its twists, turns, and reveals. Executing spoiler mode now, welcome, Laura. Hi. (laughs) How's it going? Awesome. I'm excited about this one. Oh, such a great show. Such a great season. Great finale. Overall, what was your take on this, on the final season of Mr. Robot? I thought it was really fun to watch uh, overall because of like little geeky things um, like the titles of the episodes (laughs) and, you know, also uh, finally having it come to a ultimately strange but satisfying conclusion. Um, but also in terms of individual episodes, how they kind of branched out and tried different ways of, of presenting things and executing things. And like the one episode where no one talks is really neat. Um, so, you know, uh, there's a lot going on to appreciate in this season. So I think it was a proper send off for a show. And well, let's face it with other shows not having proper send offs like Game of Thrones, uh, this was really well appreciated. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Cause I think it was uh, when Eric and I did our Sabrina season four chat, I think he takes a dig at at uh, Game of Thrones as well. It's like, damn, they really just fucked up. They did. So it was really nice that they didn't hear. It's always it nice to exciting. get a satisfaction. It's always nice to get that satisfying ending. And it always sucks when you get invested in a show for however many years and the ending is just sloppy or disappointing, lackluster. Uh, Dexter, I feel that way about the last season of Dexter was just shit and the finale was shit. And Yeah, I'm glad I didn't watch that. I refused to watch it. I heard some rumor that they were looking at kind of doing a mini reboot to fix things yes they are yep so I would you know the first four seasons of Dexter are good oh no I've watched the show I just refused to watch the end of the show oh gotcha yeah I thought you meant you hadn't watched it at all like no I was it's weird because normally I don't like you know having a show spoiled before I finish it but in this case I was really glad that I came across the spoilers because I was like no I'm not watching this this if I don't watch it it didn't happen yeah <laughs> that was that's a smart call that's a good call because I remember when Dexter ended I was all pissed off and I hadn't started in on Breaking Bad yet but I had and I think Breaking Bad had ended around the same time and wow. just kind of seeing that what an amazing ending that was. And I was all jealous. <laughs> I was like, oh, sure, they get a good ending. <laughs> you know what? This is making me think. Like, wouldn't it be fun to just go and go through all the TV shows for the last X number of years and kind of categorize them into good ending and bad ending and see, you know, how often each one happens statistically. So I'd love to know what the chances are of a good show ending well or a good show ending badly. That would be interesting because I've noticed too that there are some shows where like, like the original run of Roseanne, that last season was, yeah, yeah, (laughs) was dumb and stupid, but I loved the finale. I loved the series finale and that it was all just uh, her book. 
the whole lottery bit and everything. And the, the little changes that she made between like Becky and Darlene and Mark and David. So I thought I enjoyed that, but yeah, for some, but the whole last season itself was shit. It was just so fucking stupid, but the finale was great. Um, trying to think off the top of my head, any other shows, but it doesn't matter because we're not here to talk about those other shows. We're here to talk about Mr. Robot and yeah. the final season. Right. Was so awesome. Good. Was so fucking awesome. And like you said, uh, the one episode where no one speaks, I think that was episode five. And yeah, there's only two lines uttered in that whole episode. And it starts with Darlene just telling Elliot, you know, it's cool. We don't have to talk. And then no one talks until the very end when Vera encounters Krista and he says to her, it's time we talked. Yeah, I really thought that was so well constructed. Like, I loved it. So brilliant. And for an episode that has no dialogue, it is so tense and suspenseful because of what they were trying to do. And they were breaking into some place so they could hack and get the information they needed to take down Deus Group, White Rose, and Dark Army, get their banking information. Right. But the hack in that episode, like, I love watching that. And the, the the very narrow escape for Elliot so that Darlene could get away. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh. oh, such a great episode. Oh, like, yeah. And an amazing foot chase scene. Because yeah. I'm like, there's no way those cops are still chasing him on foot. <laughs> I know. And I was like, parkour. Also, how are they so fit? <laughs> like, <laughs> Elliot's a scrawny guy on drugs half the time. How? <laughs> But yeah, um, like if there's an episode from the, that season, like as a standalone that I think deserves awards, it's that one. And yeah. that's saying something because this was a great season. I think, what was it called? 405? Yeah, episode uh, five. Which is, which is method not allowed. <laughs> is that what it was? Uh, yeah. yeah, method not allowed. That's crazy that you remembered that. Or do you have it up and you're looking at it? Uh, no, no, I, um, so for my web app security class, one of the exam questions we had was to actually put like 400, um, codes and 500 codes from HTTP, uh, like remember them. So I was like, yes, Mr. Robot episodes. <laughs> it's a great mnemonic device. Yeah. Well, it helped. I mean, there, the 400 ones were the easy ones comparatively and I think he knew that because he made us do like some from the 500 block and some from the 200 block as well so it you know but the 400 ones were like I have Miss Robot for this Mm -hmm. (laughs) good reference yeah yeah so that's I would agree that is an amazing episode it definitely deserves all the awards but I think for me the big standout episode was episode seven where we get uh, Vera and Krista and Elliot proxy authentication required. And yeah, I don't remember 407 off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of the episode. So I'm guessing yeah. that's right. But that one was so amazingly done and there it's emotional and it's very dramatic. So it's, it's set up as almost like a stage play. 
It takes place entirely in, a, in Krista's apartment between two rooms. And the music is very like theatrical and dramatic. There's a thunderstorm that's happening kind of at the peak of everything, which just adds to that dramatic and dramaticness and suspensefulness and everything. Yeah, it's beautifully done and simultaneously super cheesy, but also emotionally raw. It was a really interesting combination. I, I thought it was great. I didn't catch any cheese, but I can kind of see, I think I can kind of see where you're getting that a little bit. But oh, it was the start of the episode. It's very like the intro coming in with the opening credits. Oh, so cheesy. Yeah. Well, and I like how they set it up where it's done in five acts. Yeah. So it's like act one and act two. And it's so good. We get a little bit more about Vera and kind of different encounters throughout his life between being, you know, the the story of the little bitch, the bully, and the bat. And Krista thinking that the story is about him being going from a little bitch or whatever and standing up for himself and right. being like, no, the point of that story is you are my bat. <laughs> like that the, the point wasn't about me. It's about you being my bat to break Elliot. So Vera's whole goal is to break Elliot and then rebuild him so that Elliot will willingly go with Vera to work with him and with whatever Vera's big grandiose dumb plan of owning big grandiose of dumb plan. Yes, that's exactly what it is. As soon as he revealed that, I was like, what? That's your grand plan? You gotta be kidding me. And then, you know, especially since he's talking about things like how he took over his home island or whatever when he left. And I'm like, so you had a whole tropical paradise island thing going and you want to trade that for taking over New York like every other Joe Schmo criminal? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then Mr. Creative there. I'm really proud of you, not. And even like Mr. Robot's reaction, because at this point Vera is able, Vera has is talking to Mr. Robot, and Mr. Robot's just like, so real estate, that's what I'm here for. Like basically calling him out on his big yeah. dumb plan. Like, like something you could have gone to night school for and just done. Yeah, totally boring. I, I, I expected more from him, especially with, you know, the way he went toe to toe with Elliot in earlier seasons and was kind of doing that here. I really, I don't know, like, okay, I'll be fair. I don't know what I expected from him, but not that. <laughs> I think, and I agree. I don't really know what I was expecting. Maybe something bigger, more sinister. Yeah. But I feel Sounds like creative, that's creative, you know? But I feel like that kind of fits maybe the character himself. Because you feel like, you know, Vera's not just some dumb criminal, but he is not all that well educated. <laughs> when and has things well planned out or thought out and he's relatively intelligent I think for being batshit crazy batshit crazy <laughs> meth head uh, ultra violent but he has the uneducated yeah I know there's all these things but it's like so it's like he's got all these big plans but he's not but it stops short and yeah real estate essentially is all it boils down to and I don't know I just like it would work for him I don't now, know I, I feel like 
I mean, I, I wasn't excited it. about his plan. I wasn't like, yeah, that's excellent. That's a beautiful plan. It's still a dumb plan, but I, I felt like it worked. Like everything else he's done has been centered around drugs, which is, you know, fine. That's an economy. I get it. I totally understand. Um, and you can thank the whole war on drugs for that, but whatever. He did that in a different way. Albeit, okay, fine. His whole coded messages, the FBI couldn't figure out. I was like, are you fucking kidding me back in the, you know, the mm-hmm. early season? Because I'm like, that is not a cipher. That, oh my God. You know, so maybe, maybe in terms of that, you're right. It fits with the character, but it feels like the real estate aspect just came out of left field. Well, and I think like to, to say real estate was a simplified way that I think Mr. Robot came up with to just kind of shit on Vera's plan. But, down to. Absolutely. And, you know, if you think about it, there's corporations that really that's where their money is. Like mm-hmm. you think all of the most convenient locations belong to like Walgreens or like McDonald's or what have you. That's prime real estate. That's where their money is. Like they can sell that. If their business fails, they can sell that and all their big wigs and shareholders will be fine. But I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying though. And like I said, it's not like I was excited about it. But yeah, just kind of like even watching it the second time, I had to kind of rewind and be like, wait, what was his big plan? Like, couldn't even remember it from the first time I watched it because that's how big and brainy and impactful it was. I kind of like, dumb idea. But aside from that, with this episode is we get some, we get the, we get the creation of Mr. Robot himself. And some clarification on what happened the day Elliot jumped out the window. We find out that he was abused, sexually molested by his father. And that was what led to him creating Mr. Robot, essentially a a father figure that he didn't have that he needed, the protector type. Which, okay, the circumstances with the sexual abuse was not they were not unexpected. Like I kind of expected that early, way earlier in the show, um, especially after learning that Elliot jumped out the window. Um, you know, so like, I want, I'm not gonna say I was disappointed at that revelation. I just wasn't like surprised, but what I enjoyed about that whole thing was the way that they went about it. like you like it was a pretty good portrayal of genuinely processing trauma in the moment and the emotional complexity behind that uh which made you know what some might consider a tv show trope at this point kind of uh refreshing in how it was done but also you know it's a TV show trope because unfortunately it's pretty common in the real world. So, you know, from that aspect, uh, I'm not mad that a trope happened in, in this episode. Yeah. And I, you know, once, once you get, once we get the reveal that Elliot has DID and you do kind of get that sense that like, we don't, we don't know until this episode what really happened, but you kind of, like you said, you pick up on it. You kind of get that sense you know, something really, really, really fucking bad happened. And I remember the first time watching it, just thinking like, please don't let it be that. Like, mm-hmm. just 
maybe physical abuse, just, you know, but not, not the molestation. It was, that's, but. There's certainly put a creepiness to the other memories he shared or like the movie dates. Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. And it was, it was just, yeah, not, like you said, not necessarily disappointing, not all that super jaw dropping and, and shocking, but the way for me, like it was, it was the way, like you said, how it was delivered and the setting that they, that they did it in. He's forced to relive a traumatic experience, traumatic memories recovered in a traumatic way. It's pretty yeah. fucking traumatic. And Rami Malik does such a great fucking job with that emotion and that the looks on his face, the way he has can kind of like contort his face as these memories are coming in and as he's even trying to stop them and fight them you know also, where he's not quite ready to accept it but just little by little as Krista keeps asking questions he gets there and just oh it's so fucking heartbreaking yeah he shatters and also he, this is happening and Rami Malik is also alternating between Mr. Robot and himself um you know except where Christian Slater comes in where he needs to but you know like you're seeing that play out too. And you know, the subtle expression differences there. And it's just like, there's so much going on here. How's he keeping track of it all? Like brilliant performance. Like mm-hmm. the guy deserves every, uh, you know, upswing in his career that he's gotten because phenomenal job. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's like this, this episode was unreal, amazing. And Oh, I had like all of it. Drama, suspense, heartbreak. It had everything, emotionally speaking. It had a tiny bit of humor when Vera was revealing his time with the shaman and the shaman <laughs> gave him stuff. And yeah, he, yeah. And the very dramatic kind of theatrical music cuts right when Vera starts talking about him uh, puking and shitting, shitting and puking. So it's like a small tension breaker in a very tense episode. Right, I think that was well done, and also, you know, it just served to show how unhinged he is, too, because he does not care about embarrassing himself Mm-mm. in the slightest. Um, no, because it all has a purpose. Like, he thinks, he feels yeah. everything is connected. Everything kind of serves its purpose. So even yeah, that he's moment, here at its finest, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that's such a great fucking episode. It's I think definitely one of my top favorite episodes out of the entire series. Yeah. Because of just how well done everything was. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love that episode and I do, I still love episode five more. Mm-hmm. Because an entire episode framed by two lines. I mean... Ah, oh, it's just awesome. <laughs> it's like episode five had all that tension and suspense of episode seven, but without the dialogue. And it was just these scenarios. Like when they're in, when they, Elliot and Darlene finally get in to, you know, the the big room or wherever, where they're doing all their hacking and then they cut the lights and everything because the security guard is kind of following them, like almost right there walking. And all I could think is like, like the key sound really the keystroke sound really loud as Darlene's typing and doing her hacky stuff. Like that's all you hear in the in the tense music. 
And then they cut to the security guard and he's just, it seems like he's maybe like 10, 15 feet away. Like, mm-hmm. how do you not hear all that clickety clacking? Oh my God. It was so tense. They did a really good job using sound to build tension without dialogue. Like that. And again, both Rami Malik and I can't remember the person who plays Darlene. Sorry. Um, but Charlie Chalkin or uh, something like some of them, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> use body language and facial expression here. Mm-hmm. really well and I thought that was so awesome because you know you hear it all the time uh like body language is responsible for a ridiculous percentage of communication and it's like look what they just communicated to each other without saying anything mm-hmm. uh, you know it's just I, I loved it and you know they they devised an escape attempt without saying anything to each other like Talk about the ultimate charades team, by the way. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to play them. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that they were able to communicate with each other so well without talking and, you know, kind of be there for each other and everything really, really put the daggers in place for the ending for yeah. me. It really did. And, you know, there's things I want to, there's questions I want to ask about that, but, you know, we'll, we'll get there. But, you know, it's just like, how, how do you go from that to that? I just, I don't know. But, you know, oh, I know I have so many, so many questions. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Well, should we just go into the finale and. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's so- just fucking do it. And we'll circle back to everybody else. We'll do just a real quick kind of recap of how we get to the finale at the beginning of the season we find out about the dais group we get some of uh minister zhang aka white rose's backstory and basically uh kind of creating this dais group the top at the top of the one percent and they control everything they have all the money well of course yeah. they call them they called themselves Deus. i mean god right oh yeah but also, <laughs> i'm like huh also you know you're like Deus Ex Machina, the whole mm-hmm. plot device. I feel like they were poking fun at that in this season too. But anyway, continue with your summary. <laughs> I was just gonna say totally because I feel like nothing is like on accident in this show. So yeah. I could totally see that. So, but we start off the season, we get so we get the backstory of, of Zhang and White Rose and the Deus group and White Rose's machine. Uh starts off with we pick up right where we left off at the end of season three with uh Angela at prices and she dies within the first couple of minutes of the episode so mm-hmm. as as that being kind of the catalyst for Elliot and Darlene a bit to really truly stop White Rose take down the dark army and this dais group so in order for them to do that They've got to do this big hacky thing where they get all the Deus groups uh, information as well as white roses and feel all of their money. They are able to do that and redistribute the wealth evenly to everyone that has a bank account. Upon doing that, Elliot realizes he still has to stop white rose because she's going to activate her machine, which is buried under the nuclear plant at Washington township. So he goes back tries to shut down the machine, tries to implement like a little hack thing. We get hazmat cheeseburger guy and he speaks. I and know. He, 
And they take Elliot down into this kind of large room that's kind of set up similar to what Angela's room was when she was manipulated by White Rose. So there's a computer, there's a poster, there's a book, and there's even uh, Elliot's fish, Quirty. Quirty. And White Rose comes in, kind of lays out her whole plan of, you know, everyone's going to be fine and brought back. And ultimately leaves it up to Elliot as to whether or not he's going to stop the machine or let it go. She, White Rose, once he decides like, nope, I got to stop the machine. White Rose shoots herself in the head, all dead. Elliot plays a little computer game to try and stop because that's like the key to stopping the machine. Mm-hmm. And he just barely gets it, but there's still an explosion. And he wakes up in this alternate reality and we don't wake up with our Elliot initially. We wake up with this alternate reality Elliot that's very happy. He doesn't have all these issues that our Elliot has. Yeah, happy, squeaky clean, singing in the shower, sweater vest Elliot. Yeah, engaged to Angela. Everyone's happy. Price is married to Angela's mom, and they're all right. Angela's back. She died in the first episode, but she's back. And she's back. So we follow we follow alternate reality Elliot until he encounters our Elliot and then we kind of back up and we get where Elliot our Elliot wakes up in this alternate reality there's weird earthquakes happening and he's kind of like figuring out like starting to kind of buy into oh my god white rose was right her machine worked everything's perfect here and then shit goes kind of dark after he encounters his happy self and our Elliot wants that life so bad, he kills alternate reality Elliot. Yeah, so, okay. So let's back up just a little bit. Like okay. He, he, starts, <laughs> he starts to buy into this whole she might be right thing, but he is super skeptical at first mm-hmm. and he investigates by like, you know, going back to his family home, talking to his mother, talking to his father, and dealing with the fact that all these revelations from what he was suppressing are fresh in his mind, trying to talk to these people normally, because let's not forget his mother was, like, physically abusive to him, too, Mm -hmm. and verbally, so, you know, he got the trifecta between the two of his parents, Mm -hmm. but in his life that we've known so far, He's protective of his sister. They had a close relationship. Um, look what they were able to accomplish together when they get their bullshit out of the way. But, you know, there was that tiny bit of foreshadowing to this, I suppose, potentially, you know, with that one time he forgot who Darlene was and tried to kiss her. And she's like, you forgot again. So this mm-hmm. is something that happened, you know, at least consistently. But part of his perfect alternate reality here is that he does not have a sister yeah darlene does not exist in this world his his dad is alive and they have a happy healthy relationship his mom yeah. is alive there's a happy healthy relation very caring no cancer for anyone no cancer the power plant doesn't even exist in this in this reality and then slowly everything starts to reveal itself as 
R. Elliot tries to get rid of the body of alternate reality Elliot and encounters Dom the beat cop. <laughs> Which I love that even Dominique made it into this alternate reality and was still just a badass. But see, and this is where, okay, this is where my questions with Darlene are. Like, uh, and there are so many questions that I have with this entire premise, by the way. But I just, I just, I got to focus on the Darlene aspect of this just to get it out of the way. That's like, okay, her and Dom had a chance to go fly off somewhere together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all, they all had like this crisis of, do I do it or don't I do it? Do I do it or don't I do it? And I felt weird for that too, because like, you're kind of cheering for them to take off together. But then you're like, why? They're so toxic for each other. Like, why? Is this really the best they can do? Okay. And weirdly enough, Darlene decides to know, buckle down and make something of herself without hurting people in the process. And Dom's like, I need a fucking break. And she takes off. So does that mean Dom's whole plane was in the explosion and she died too. And Darlene's still alive. And if if Darlene is still alive in the reality we've known, like what happens if she dies? Does does she go to this alternate reality and suddenly exist? Or did she miss this boat because the explosion's over and she just dies like a normal person? Ooh, good questions. I'm like, what? Like, how can it, like Elliot's first struggles in alternate reality of like, how do I not have a sister? This, this is crazy. Then he's just like, meh. <laughs> yeah, because then it becomes hyper-focused on taking Angela. the place of, yep, taking the place of happy Elliot so he can finally marry Angela and because he's well, always loved her and all these things. But he shows up to the wedding after running. He does so much running. And a lot of running, yeah. And this is where the reality in really kind of starts to, to crumble a bit because he shows up and the wedding audience, the guests all dress nicely, but they've all got the F society masks. Angela's not there. And Mr. Robot shows up and starts telling Elliot that this reality was a, some, a place that he created to keep the other guy occupied. And we're just like, what the fuck is happening? And so all of these start peeling back and then it gets to the point where so you kind of start realizing that we're this alternate reality is all within Elliot's mind and to come to terms with what's actually actually happening the mind creates Krista and to to break the truth down to Elliot as to what's going on and that is our Elliot is an alternate personality of the real Elliot Alderson. Yep. And that's when my mind exploded. Because it was like, holy shit. So Elliot Alderson, the one R Elliot that we've been following since season one. Should we call him Hoodie Elliot? Hoodie Elliot? Okay. He's always wearing the black hoodie. Yeah. Okay. So Hoodie Elliot. Oh, can I just say real quick? Yeah. Because I just had a revelation. No. Mr. Robot is always wearing the Mr. Robot jacket. Our Elliot, Hoodie Elliot, is always wearing the hoodie. Mm Mm-hmm. They've got their uniforms. Personality 
constructs are always wearing the same thing. We should have realized this sooner. <laughs> Absolutely. I think there were enough little East, like a little hints sprinkled throughout, um, which does make rewatching it fun. And then the payoff is still amazing. So Pootie Elliott that we've been following since season one is an alternate personality. And like you said, I think the first big clue was Darlene towards the end of like season one, when he goes to kiss her and reveal that it's his sister. And she's like, you forgot again. So this alternate Elliot, hoodie Elliot was created because the real Elliot, basically it's, it's all his rage towards mm -hmm. the world and everything. Mm -hmm. And kind of this dreaming about being this other person, this vigilante hacker that doesn't give a fuck and, you know, fuck society and all this stuff, a manifestation of all that anger and rage that real Elliot, I guess, had. Understandably so. So, but in this alternate reality, Hoodie Elliot specifically created it without Darlene because Darlene has always been the key to real Elliot's kind of stability, so to speak. Yeah. Real, real Elliot's only, because they mention it at one point uh, throughout the season where it's kind of like the meeting of the mind. So it's Mr. Robot, the mom, and the young Elliot uh, personalities in that uh, E-Core, Evil Corp boardroom. And they're kind of waiting and they're, and they're talking about waiting for him. And they mention that they need Darlene because he's, re he's responsive to her. He'll, he'll kind of listen to her. That's really the only thing that he latches onto. At that point, we still don't know about Hoodie Elliot being an alternate personality. So all of that kind of makes a bit more sense. They had to, Hoodie Elliot had to remove Darlene out of this alternate reality in order to keep real Elliot occupied so Hoodie Elliot could be in charge of the whole, of the body and, and take over. Because I think had Darlene existed in that alternate reality, it would have, it would have been too much for real Elliot to stay trapped because they kept calling it a trap. She, so... Elliot, Hoodie Elliot eventually wakes. So he realizes he kind of, all of this stuff hits him. It doesn't go well because it, it's not a lot. You know, he doesn't recall any of this. It's hard for him to, it's a hard pill to swallow because he's thought he's the real Elliot since forever. And then it all kind of starts to settle in. Mm -hmm. When he's sitting there with Krista, the, the mind Krista, she starts going over kind of how his different personalities came to be. So you have your first one, the protector, Mr. Robot. So he came about shortly after the abuse started. He's, he's been around for quote, as long as Elliot has needed him mm -hmm. and always been the one to try and protect him. The second personality was the mother, the prosecutor, kind of always blaming Elliot. And so he, so it makes me wonder no, his, their mother was still a, an abusive piece of shit. But I wonder if she was an abusive piece of shit because she knew about what was actually going on with the abuse from the dad. And she blamed Elliot. Or and she, she blamed of it. Or I don't know. I don't know. Um, and then the third personality is young Elliot to kind of handle the abuse that he couldn't tolerate. The fourth personality is us. 
the viewers, the voyeurs. And then the fifth and newest personality is Hoodie Elliot. And again, yep, he's real Elliot's rage and trying to make the world a better, safer place for real Elliot by getting rid of these threat like E Corp and Dark Army and White Rose. Mm-hmm. Plus others along the way. Yes, like Ray and the coffee shop owner and all those little baddies that he the took douche down. Bag, douchebag boyfriend of Krista and you know. Yeah, that guy. And Angela's douchebag boyfriend. Although he kind of oh, took yeah, himself yeah. down. He kinda, Ollie. You know, that yeah, he kind of did that one to himself. And I would give credit there to Cisco. To, uh, to Cisco, yeah. I thought you were gonna give credit to Ollie himself for fucking himself over. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, what a dumbass. What a dumbass. I'm so glad he was out of the picture because ugh that was just one of those characters like okay he serves a purpose Uh, I hope it's over soon (laughs) yes yes he served his purpose and then he did not overstay his welcome which was very very nice so you list those five personalities and you know in, in some moments it is a flat structure like that like they could all sit down in a room together but most of the time it's more like a Russian doll of personalities you know because Hoodie Elliot's in control for like the majority of the show and Mr. Robot is a manifestation of an alternate personality for him but then both he and and Mr. Robot can see us or talk to us or interact with us so there's like there's so much going on like you know it's not like a straight line or a flat hierarchy there's like it's spider webs and layers Mm -hmm. and it's like is this really how complex the idea is especially if it's if it's manifested from ptsd like is this really how terrifying and confusing it can be because i feel like wow people you know people with mental health issues of any kind need a lot more empathy and understanding if that's the case because wow yeah wow definitely covers it I I don't you know no obviously no expert on DID by any means I've watched a couple shows about it but because there's not a whole hell of a lot known about it and because it's still a controversial diagnosis I think within the medical neurology world you know because some doctors don't believe in it some doctors do uh, it's not fucking Santa Claus. But it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, but that's where the controversy lies is whether or not people believe that these, and I, what my understanding is that that's where the controversy lies is that do these alternate personalities truly exist? Are they actually individuals as they, you know, kind of claim to be, or, you know, it's very, otherwise it's a very dismissive, like, oh, they're just playing. They're just needing attention blah 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 so there's there's always kind of that aspect to it but I think why can't it be both well and it's like the mind is so complicated there's so much we don't know you know like when uh you know like a family member sustained a brain injury years and years ago it was kind of like well it can it could just kind of get better the memory could the short-term memory could start to get better or not it, there was just so much unknown 
Yeah. And I think it's very fascinating and very interesting stuff because I think the mind is capable of splintering like that and creating alternate personalities to handle trauma that the, I guess, host person can't handle because I, I think it's absolutely possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to put a computer analogy on it, it's like having multiple user profiles on a computer. There you go. That's right? the perfect analogy for this show. Oh why, why, why is this so hard for people to grasp? Is it complicated? Are there like selfish reasons that it might have manifested? Sure, absolutely. Maybe they really, really, really did need attention and this is how they got it. But you know what? Humans are social creatures. If that's the case, then they were obviously starved of something that they needed to the point where they developed a coping mechanism. And this was the one that, that worked for them. Mm-hmm. Does, you know, other people become ill in other ways if they don't have the things that they need. And it's like humans have social needs. I don't care which psychologist theory or sociologist theory you go with. It's a common thread. Like why, why question people? Okay, yes, this is weird. This is hard to grasp. This is, this is, difficult to understand scientifically medically whatever that doesn't make it less real and I hate that attitude like even for for me with a physical disability or at least a neurophysical disability that manifests physically in somewhat obvious ways I get the same treatment like no you can't possibly be in as much pain as you say because you're not like screaming about it Mm -hmm. or well, you know, the, or you just get this, you just get other things dismissed. Like, oh, that's probably because of your CP. We don't really know. We don't really understand. So we're not really sure if we can help you. Like, if that's how physical disabilities or physical presenting disabilities get treated, what, <laughs> of course, of course, people are going to act this way with, with purely um, mental ones. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make them less valid and look I don't mean to sound awful to anyone or offend anyone who's religious but if you can believe in a god or gods or whatever your your faith is that you can never see and never hear you can't believe in the the reality of mental illness like come on (laughs) you can't have it both ways (laughs) very true all good points I loved your rant Sorry. <laughs> it's, don't apologize. It was beautiful and very good. But yeah, so we are now deep into Elliot's mind and we're still following Hoodie Elliot. We haven't met the real Elliot yet. So Mr. Robot in still within this alternate reality as he's, you know, and as Elliot's learning, Hoodie Elliot's learning that he's, an, he's a personality just like Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot's trying to convince Elliot, like, you have to let the real Elliot wake up. So we're not entirely sure yet what happened to Elliot's body, at least, because like, okay, so is he dead, not dead? What is this? Elliot wakes up. It is our Elliot, Hoodie Elliot, and he's in the hospital. And we see a little news ticker. And he was able to stop the machine and uh, White Rose's machine and prevent the nuclear meltdown, but there was still another small explosion. Uh, we get a bit more information from Darlene after Elliot wakes up that the explosion that happened 
Elliot was saved from because of that weird room that he was in with White Rose. So after that explosion and cleared out, pulled him out, got him to a hospital where he's been ever since resting, living in that alternate reality, crashing actually the alternate reality. Because that world is not for Hoodie Elliot. That world is for the real Elliot. Mr. Robot even says at one point, you've only been here, you've, you've slipped in here like one other time during an, an overdose. And then I tried to remember, did that happen in, in an earlier season and it hadn't clicked, but. I know, I couldn't place it either because I re- remember him, you know, being in that alternate world he created when he was getting the shit beaten out of him by Ray and his cronies, right? But that was like them going on a family vacation. Mm-hmm. And Darlene was there. And, you know, they were all assholes to each other anyway, so it wasn't as well created. And then, there, you know, Tyrell showed up in that. Like, uh, I mean, that was, it was all sitcom and weird, but, you know, it showed the power of his imagination in terms of being able to create escape realities for himself. So that was foreshadowing too, but I really don't remember that. Maybe we got like tiny flashes somewhere early in season one. I, I don't, I don't recall anything specific, but either way. Yeah. So, oh God, where was I? Oh, so much. So Hoodie Elliot wakes up in the hospital. Darlene fills him in on everything. And during this, Hoodie Elliot starts to reveal to Darlene that he's not the real Elliot. He's a personality. Darlene knows. And she's known since season one when he tried to kiss her and everything. Yeah, that was her like, oh shit moment, wasn't it? Yep. So, but she played along and she went along with it all because they were hanging out, spending time together. Some nice, good brother, sister, hacker fun, no big deal. And we find out that Darlene couldn't handle what was going on with Elliot and the overall, you know, the abuse from the mom and everything as well. And so it sounds like as soon as she could, she bailed. Like she ran away to escape all of that. I mean, I don't blame her for that. No, I don't blame her either. But that was kind of the sense that I got that maybe around teenage, you know, that 16, 17, 18 age, she bailed out and then came back. And then she said that she came back so she could try and start making amends. And that's when she came back to find Hoodie Elliot was in charge. Oh, what? Hoodie Elliot has an actual name, you know, like, or title too, doesn't he? Yes. He's the mastermind is what he's referred to as. That's right. Yeah. So we have the protector, the prosecutor, the voyeur. Um, what, what was young Elliot's title? I don't remember. I don't have an actual title. So I don't remember if there was, there was one or I just missed it, but he was to handle the abuse that Elliot couldn't tolerate because after the whole reveal in episode seven uh Krista and Elliot uh leave the apartment and go to the police station Elliot is still very much like in shock he's barely able to like walk function and she's kind of pushing him into the cab and trying to get him to go into the police station with him and they kind of in that little bit outside the police station kind of talk through what a little bit of what just happened that Elliot needs to take care of himself. She would like to be able to continue to help him if possible. But then you also get this feeling that 
he's not going to follow up with her maybe because they kind of do say a goodbye. And she's like, well, just take care of yourself. And he looks past her, looks kind of behind her and he sees young Elliot. And he's like, he says, you know, basically he's like, he's going to be okay. And follows young Elliot to the museum that he and Angela used to run away to. Cause we saw at the beginning of an earlier episode, young Elliot hid something in the walls deep in the basement of the museum. It was a key, right? It was a key. So he follows young Elliot back there, retrieves the key. Cause Elliot's feeling like he should have done more. He, you know, or, you know, feeling that guilt of why me, I shouldn't have let it happen. I should have fought harder. You know, Chris is like, you were a kid. It's none of this is your fault. You didn't have a choice. So Elliot's still kind of struggling with all those feelings and young Elliot shows him that they hid the key that was their dad's key to his room. Like this was what we tried to do to save ourselves. And that seemed to help Elliot, adult hoodie Elliot kind of dealing with all of that, that he, he tried, he still tried something and it wasn't that he just didn't do anything. Yeah. And it reminded him that he wasn't done with trying to save the world in his so, weird way as yeah. well, which, which allowed him to continue on the mission that ultimately led him to stopping White Rose's machine at yep. the last minute with a choose your own adventure game. Love it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I mean, it was such, such a mind fuck, wasn't it? Oh my God. Such a mind fuck. So then, so then we find out that everything that happened throughout the series actually happened it just happened to hoodie elliot not real elliot because real elliot was trapped yeah but you know the one i guess quasi spoiler that i happened to read before seeing the final two episodes was that the finale rank up there with the fight club finale and i understand the comparisons here because both dealt with the id but holy shit, I think this was better. Yeah. Um, I think so too. I think this was way better. I think it's way more complex and nuanced. And like I said, it, you know, caused a person to think more about how um, just totally overwhelming mental illness can be. Mm-hmm. Like Fight Club's version of it almost felt shallow to me in comparison but back in its day when I watched that I was like whoa you know (laughs) but yeah this this seems so much more real in a way which is weird because like the whole the whole thing was stuff Elliot made up half the time to protect himself but it just it just felt more real it felt more like not necessarily relatable but like realistic easier to empathize yeah yeah i would agree like you could still in a even if you can't directly relate you it was still more relatable yeah that makes sense oh so good though holy shit yeah i would i would agree i think this finale compared to fight club is up there like they is is, a, is better than it like they took the fight club and fucking reworked it and kicked it up several notches 
Mm-hmm. Laura, so fucking good. Yeah, the show was simultaneously more of a mindfuck and more grounded in the reality of mental illness. And hacking. And I'm just like, how? How yeah. did you strike this balance? Like, you know, I don't know Sam Esmail and his crew personally, but holy shit. Like, you can't. Like, if ever, if ever this tries to get, like, a reboot or something, you, you can't. You cannot do this. No. No, there's... I don't, don't ever reboot this show. Don't touch it. Leave it as is. It's perfect how it is. Yeah. Don't touch it. In the future, don't touch it. (laughs) Leave it alone. Listen to us. (laughs) Yes. Listen to us. We know what we're talking about. We're clearly an authority on such things. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I mean, so like, that's how the show culminates, but I feel like we should, you know, give those characters that didn't make it to the end their proper due. Yeah, we'll do that. You need to be. Oh, okay. So let's just let's just take a little mini break, and we'll come back, and we'll circle back to all of our other supporting and tertiary characters. Yes. We just had to get the whole Elliot Darlene reveal out because I don't think I would have been able to to continue <laughs> until I got it all out. Yeah. Plus, you know, I hate that Elliot's utopia world was. A world without her like like mm-hmm. mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know you're right like she was his connection to reality so if she was there he couldn't have that mm-hmm. so all right so we will gonna we're gonna circle back to some of our other main players of the series and the season so we've got left uh words are hard so the ones we have left are angela tyrell price dominique and then our tertiary characters of janice and leon of the season oh man they're the greatest they're the best so i think we should start with angela just because there's you know, between Angela and Tyrell, there's not a whole lot there. No. As I said before, Angela dies pretty much straight away in the first episode of the season. Yeah, Price tries to save her, but mm-hmm. she's so stubborn and, I don't know, embarrassed for herself that she can't see what she's walking into. Yeah, and especially once she kind of comes to terms with having been a just a pawn a being used, a patsy in a White Rose's grand scheme of things that Angela was just used. She gets yeah. rightfully angry and she wants to enact revenge and is basically like, tells Price, like, if you're not going to help me take him down, then I'm going to do it myself. And he just gets that look of like, why did you say that? You had to go and say that. Yeah. Now there's nothing I can do to protect you or stop them from coming after you. And he walks away, as he's walking away, dark army uh, assassins come up and just shoot her right in the head. And she just decides that, you know what? She's not going to run. She'll just sit there and take it. And she does. Yeah, I don't know if I'd consider that admirable or not, but I can't help thinking of what was allegedly happening behind the scenes, you know, in terms of disagreements with showrunners and everything, whether it was overpay or something else. Was that what was intended with her character or was that just how it ended up because of all that 
BS. It kind of, I mean, yeah, I don't know what, what was going on behind the scenes other than just a little bit that uh, you've told me in the past, but if it wasn't part of the original plot line, I think that it still worked well because her death is basically the motivation for Price and Elliot to go to go after White Rose and Dark Army. Right. You know, because Angela at one point had asked Price to help, you know, take down White Rose. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, he gives the plans to White Rose's machines to Elliot and tells him he needs to stop her at pretty much like all costs, take her down, destroy the machine. And I felt like he finally kind of came around to getting that revenge on Angela's behalf, avenging Angela. Right, because, you know, White Rose made the mistake of taking away the one thing that gave him leverage over her leverage over price like he he cared about Angela he loved his daughter whether you know he was a good father to her or not so much but you know in his weird way he tried right mm-hmm. so really dumb mistake for White Rose and I think one of many this season it's like she got so close to getting what she wanted that she got impatient after mm-hmm. all these years of planning and biding time and putting things in order and being so cognizant of time it's like uh you got to see white rose more emotionally vulnerable and impulsive which was kind of out of character for a white rose oh absolutely you know like it, it you know it, it reminds me of like the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. And this is because I've been playing a bunch of Hades, by the way. Super awesome game. Try it. (laughs) But um, he had the chance to get her out of the underworld. Something that supposedly is not allowed ever. Never happened ever. And all he had to do was not turn around. And like this, this myth is, you know, redone in uh, other mythologies as well. So, you know, pick whatever version you like. Um, But very last second, turns around, loses it all. And I feel like that's what Rose ended up doing in a way. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that's pretty much Angela. And Price, I just kind of felt like this season, he was he was just a dead man walking the whole season. He'd kind of- He knew up. it. Yeah, he knew it, that it was just a matter of time. And then part of Elliot's plan to take down the Deus group and- and uh, get back at White Rose was enlisting Price's help to convince White Rose to call the Deus group together. And so the whole plan was that Price was going to retire and Tyrell was going to take Price's spot. Right. All for show. Just pretty much all for show. Trading figurehead for figurehead, right? Yep. Poster boy for poster boy. Right. So yeah, so he's just so... Price, I feel like, has just pretty much given up this season, other than kind of siding with Elliot and leaning more on that uh, F society side of, of things. Right. Well, he knew he could go out with a bang, and he really did. Yeah. And I do like that during that hack where they're trying, where they're getting the Deus group's information and trying to get White Rose's information, that Price got to be there 
with uh, Minister Zhang during that whole kind of downfall as that hack happened. That must have been a satisfying moment. You yeah. know, even though he knew he was going to die, it must have been a satisfying moment. For him. Yep. So when you talk about White Rose being more kind of like emotionally unhinged, we see that in that kind of end scene after everything's hacked, all the money is gone. Uh, Minister Zhang starts getting the notifications that different transactions are being overdrawn, you know, because now he doesn't have any money. And he's just kind of, and he just loses his shit and pulls yeah. the gun from one of his bodyguards and shoots Price a couple of times. And then they scoot him away into a car, drive away. It's the fact that he shot twice. Like that was, that was the giveaway. Like this isn't his first time killing anyone or White Roses for that matter. The fact that he pulled the trigger and didn't yes. convince him to pull the trigger himself. Juan, big tell. The fact that he shot twice. That's that a very was emotional an emotional moment and you know emotionally speaking white rose then decides like fuck this i'm not even gonna keep up this facade anymore i'm just white rose now which is great in in the sense of okay now this person is being their true self right mm -hmm. but also not because like darlene was elliot's kind of grounding force i feel like his minister Zhang persona was what kept him level-headed or her level-headed. I, I keep alternating between that because Zhang is like, I'm a man and, and White Rose is like, I'm a woman. So it's so hard to know what to say when you're talking about both of them simultaneously. Mm -hmm. They feel like two different people. And they do, but I think White Rose is ultimately really who she was. And right, like, and Zhang was the was her alternate personality in that sense. Right, and I don't think this is the same as Elliot's DID. Oh no, not but again, at all. I feel like this is how White Rose kept everything going was by maintaining this side of of her life, and without that as a balance, just went off the deep end. Yeah, it's like. White Rose knew that she had to maintain that Minister Zhang persona in order to, because like her plan was the machine from day one. Right, right. And especially after we get that flashback of her and, well, Minister Zhang and his boyfriend and that they're, you know, they're so in love and they want to be together, but both, you know, closeted and have other societal obligations and so we see minister zhang come out as white rose uh to his partner and his partner being very accepting of it right but then the next flashback we get we see that the partner is set to be married to someone else and he's just uh, like no it's yeah. i don't want to do this it's not you and min and, and zhang's almost kind of like we have to do this unless I'm not remembering the scene right. Kind of like, it'll be fine. We can still kind of be together, but it's like, but this is what we have to do to accomplish our goals. Right. See, and White Rose was willing to accept that sacrifice, but her boyfriend was not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he ended up killing himself right there in a gruesome, painful way. Dude, he slits his own throat like, holy shit. Yeah, and that's traumatizing to witness without the emotional connection that they had. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
Like that was heartbreaking. Yeah. And you can see why she is so driven to do this machine and wanting it to work because how else could she fix this now? Mm -hmm. Like that's what White Rose as Zhang was doing was biding his time and fixing things, finding a way to fix things so they could be together. And this was the only way left. But then you think about all the people who have sacrificed themselves to White Rose because they believed that she loved them. No, she didn't. Mm -hmm. Like it's always been this guy. And I'm like, you did not care whose lives you ruined or how because you thought, like she literally thought this machine would fix everything and it didn't matter. Um, and I, you know, I, I wish they'd done like an alternate ending where the machine worked, just, or, or like, okay, not even just the machine worked, but the machine actually got to fire just to see what would happen. Cause I'm like, but, 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 but I want to know, <laughs> would it have worked? How would it have worked? What would it have done? What would that look like? Like, would it be like Elliot's? utopia world or would it be completely different because it's white roses utopia world or would it just be some random thing because ultimately it's a random thing and a white rose didn't have any control over what happened once she pressed the button you know mm -hmm. it's like what what would have happened i need to know this and it's like, it's like my biggest question hanging over this entire show is like okay cool i'm glad he stopped it and everything and we got this conclusion but what would have happened like they could have done like a, a clue kind of clue style ending or this, or how about this? And give us like two or three different alternate endings. Yes. That would have been a bit silly, but I love that movie. Well, yes, but you know, in the, but it would have been Mr. interesting robot, in the Mr. Robot way, you yeah. know? Yeah, they could have done I, it. I, I will always want to know the answer to that question. If the machine had gone off, what would have happened? Was, was White Rose that delusional or had she really found something Had she really created something here that could have done something as completely mind-blowing monumental as that i guess we'll never know i guess it was it was just always assumed it was a bomb it was under a nuclear power plant it was going to create a huge explosion you know the, the whole reason for her wanting to move it to the congo was to get more space to operate the machine so it wouldn't create such such a potential devastation yeah yeah and so her whole speech to Elliot at the end was really good and really kind of interesting where she's painting herself as as the hero as the one that's trying to fix it and make it better like she even I think told Elliot in their very first encounter they're not the bad guys they're the good guys and she really, and in that moment, in that last scene with her and Elliot, you really get that feeling that she truly believes that, that this machine, her machine is going to fix everything and she will be a hero. Yeah. And she must have at least temporarily convinced Angela of the same, mm -hmm. you know, that's a really hard sell uh, in my opinion, like nothing fixes everything. Like there is no 100% solution ever in the course of world or human history. So seriously, who would buy into that? Apparently a shit ton of people. Mm -hmm. but, you know, that makes me think of a book I read a long time ago, like uh, Wizard's First Rule. People believe any lie, either because they're afraid of it or they want to believe it. 
That's paraphrasing, by the way. It's much more eloquently put. <laughs> that was very well done. I like I like the uh, paraphrase version. Zhang's going off because he's on the phone with Elliot, and and he's going and so Zhang's going on and on about the machine. It'll bring Angela back, and Price is sitting there getting all drunk on champagne and just kind of watching the downfall. I fucking love of, that. By that the way, that was hilarious. He's like, "We've never gotten drunk together," and he's like, "Don't mind if I do." It's <laughs> At least like, more, even, <laughs> more even pour it in the glass at that point. My God, yeah. <laughs> just get yourself a straw. Drink the bottle. <laughs> but I mean, no i thought price's exit was you know really well done on his terms i'm like you know what okay this guy's still an asshole he's still selfish he's made some really dumb decisions and he's paying for them but god damn if he doesn't do it well <laughs> he's just been that back and forth likable and just detestable at the same time throughout I love characters like that i love characters oh. that make you feel that simultaneous love conflict hate. yes i'm yeah. just like sometimes i'm just like oh i hate you but this season i like i did not hate price i totally totally felt for him mm -hmm. i was like i like i've said i was happy that he got to watch the fall of Zhang slash white rose and but he even said at one point that when Zhang was talking to elliot on the phone and going on and on about his machine and bringing angela back and bringing everybody back that there was that small moment where price even started buying into it because of his want to have angela back and not have her be dead and, and live in like that reality so close he said right right yeah. and i feel like we almost had that with tyrell but he just he just couldn't live up to price's legacy mm -hmm. and it just fits so well with how that all went down with his character like we forget we bring him up and then we forget because he has his role to play fine but talk about the most underwhelming death of, of the series absolutely i even read yeah. in my notes i'm like wait this is really seriously legitimately where tyrell dies like he bleeds I mean, out and gets hypothermia and the screen the screen fades to white you think like you're 90 you're 95 percent sure he's dead but you never really know because never really know there's no body you know no body no proof like nope. we learned that in gotham right yes <laughs> <laughs> oh my god can we just go back and do gotham for funsies <laughs> sure i don't care <laughs> except for that last season i found that last season was very underwhelming i hated it i thought that <laughs> quick side note that last season had a lot of potential and there was just no follow-through with any of the stuff that i felt that they built up episode to episode for that final season right plus no musical episode i feel no like you were building episode. for that the entire time and i didn't do it <laughs> so years ago before the podcast was even an idea laura and i were going off about the show Gotham. We wrote a musical episode because we decided all shows need to have at least one musical episode. Plus, it's so campy and ridiculous. Why wouldn't you have it? It would have worked. And we would have, because it would have been Scarecrow, right? That was the plot. Like, that was, had like a, a, a gas that made everyone see like in, in Scrubs. But like in Scrubs, a woman had a brain injury where everyone sang, and that's how they got away with their musical episode. Right. And don't you think that, that at least until, 
you know, Gordon had his, his kid and everything and actually had, you know, someone else to care about to that extent. Like, don't you think it's totally plausible that his worst fear would be something of a musical type-esque thing? I mean, given his character, like, seriously, this totally would have worked. We are way off on the tangent now. <laughs> okay, if we were to write a musical episode for Mr. Robot, how would that, how would you write the musical episode? Well, you know, Raimi's got to sing because like he did the whole Freddie Mercury thing, right? The, he did can he actually help. sing or did he? I thought so. Dog? I might be mistaken there. Either way, he did a, you know, awesome job in that movie. So why, why not? Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, how would you do it? Oh my God. If Vera had a musical number, oh, could you just. Oh man, I'm I'm picturing all this right now. <laughs> so maybe through like the eyes of Vera okay. during like a meth high and everyone. Yeah, because this whole insane. episode was a five act play anyway, so why not make it a musical? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> anyways, so but you bring up Tyrell, underwhelming death, and yeah. his his whole role in this season was, you know, as we said before, he's set to replace price but it's all just kind of a ploy he's already the poster boy he's he's got the position yeah and title that he was striving for in season one but he doesn't right. have his wife he doesn't have his baby everything is so tainted now with the and empty and empty that it's all meaningless and he's just not just not feeling it he's not in it yeah, and you know, him and Elliot have that big emotional confrontation, like, I hate you, and I love you, and I hate you, and I'm just, okay. So Tyrell clearly needed that to happen in order for him to be at peace with his life. Um, but Elliot's like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yep. But when Tyrell is basically told that he's going to be replacing Price, I thought it was so cute. He's like, he goes to Elliot, and he's like, this is our chance to take down dark army from the inside yeah because he was in love with Elliot still oh and Elliot's apartment is bugged he lets Tyrell know that and then we just hear this very kind of quote normal conversation and you just hear Elliot like from inside the surveillance van thing of like here have some water would you like a seat just like faking this normalcy this mundane conversation and it's sounding so creepy yeah <laughs> and in the yeah. meantime Tyrell goes down to the van and hammers the dude in the head right because he likes killing people remember like, oh he does he does not even care at all and so they have to get rid of the van get rid of the evidence and that all goes scooby-doo <laughs> It does, you know, in like the most fucked up way. It really does. The whole thing of them getting lost, trying to walk through the woods is like, it's so pathetic. And yet it's so, it's so funny at the same time. Like they're, they're they did a good job of like subtle injections of humor in otherwise tense and dark moments. And yeah, it's just, they they did that so well you didn't even sometimes you're just like why am I laughing at this mm -hmm. <laughs> I know something bad is about to happen why am I laughing yeah they get lost they they come upon the van um because it's just a silly episode 
they, they yeah. stop for gas or directions or something. They both go inside the store. The woman recognizes Tyrell, but not as Tyrell. Or no, she does. And he's like, no, no, that I'm not him, blah, blah, blah. They go outside and the van's gone because the surveillance guy wasn't dead, dead. Right. So then they're walking to try and get, I don't know, find the van or get to the next town. And they happen upon the van. Surveillance guy crashed it. So when they come up on him, he's still kind of alive, fires at Elliot and Tyrell and actually hits, uh, hits Tyrell, shoots him in the tummy. So that's Painful. how, that's how Tyrell, yep. Uh, sustains his injury that leads to his death. Yeah. And, and you know, it. at this point they're already like freezing cold. So mm-hmm. that doesn't help either. But mm-hmm. then the whole time they're trudging through the woods, they're worried that the dark army is just going to pop out everywhere and just kill them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it's so silly this episode. Like, this was Tyrell's end. And I'm like, all right, that happened. So it's probably, if I'm being honest, my least favorite episode of the season. There's not a lot that happens. It's just because then the the other thing going on in this episode is Darlene, and she's mad at her brother, but also very concerned about him. And upset about everything else in her life. Yep. And she happens upon this drunk Santa. And I'm drunk santa i love drunk santa too like i enjoyed her interaction with drunk santa way more than the whole elliot tyrell breakup scene and tyrell's subsequent death absolutely because oddly enough like drunk santa is exactly what darlene needed in that moment because she's she's going through her own world of shit as well and right now Elliot's being very kind of pushing her away and is treating her like shit but is still demanding that she do all these things because he ultimately is saying so and and yada yada and she starts to leave this like epic voicemail about him being the shittiest brother ever and she hates his gut like all this stuff yeah and then we hear the prompt and it's like if you would like to re-record press star and she's like hey give me a call (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, you should have sent the other one. <laughs> That's great. Right? But throughout all of this, she happens upon a drunk Santa and he busts her trying to steal his car. And she manages to just convince him that it'd be better off to just have her drive him home. And then he just let her borrow the car for a bit. <laughs> and he's, you know, in the end, cool with that. <laughs> But he's so drunk and out of it that it's like everything that he's talking about, like he talks about doing the Santa thing and he used to do it with his wife till the accident and then kind of nods off. So it's like, oh shit, what the fuck happened? His wife said he seems like maybe a little depressed and he's talking about like, you know, he's got like the, the pain pills, you know, to end it and like oh shit and so she grows concerned to the point where she gets them home and first she realizes that they're not in his car his car is at home because in here i laughed so hard at that (laughs) oh yeah frank drove or whatever (laughs) where's my car and i'm like where's this frank guy what what's his night like now trying to find this dumbass drunk santa i almost feel like they needed to go back and now do frank's story Right. <laughs> what happened to Frank? Maybe Frank just got mad at drunk Santa and was like, no, fuck you. Find your own way home, man. You're being an asshole. Right? Saying weird, dark shit. Um, 
but Darlene's concerned about drunk Santa to the point where she's just like, Hey, I don't think maybe you should be alone or tries to be helpful. And he's kind of like, why? What's, what's your problem? He's like, no, he's like, no, my wife threw her back out. The pain is unbearable for her. You know, these are her pain medications. (laughs) Like everything is fine and dandy. And it was just her perception of things, I think, because she was in such a dark place. Right. I do love, so I agree. I think uh, Darlene and Drunk Santa were much more interesting than Elliot and Tyrell's Winter Wonderland adventure. They were the one saving grace of that episode. Like I, I would, if I were to watch the show again, I don't know if I would even like sit through that. I think I would skip that episode. And I I hate saying that. Yeah, because there's really nothing else that happens in that. I mean, we see we see that Dom is fixated on Darlene watching the old interrogation tapes, trying to rub one out real quick. And her whole dream of hooking up with an online sexy chat person was just kind of yeah I don't know Dom's a complicated character what can you say (laughs) yeah I felt you know obviously we felt really bad for Dom this season because she's put into quite the predicament of having to work for the dark army she's got a psychotic a delightfully psychotic handler Janice the taxidermist oh my god with her gollies and her smiles and yeah her being remarkably normal was just the creepiest thing I've ever heard and she tells Darlene that you know oh my whole life all the doctors tested me and all they all came to the same conclusion I am remarkably normal suddenly normal is a very scary thing (laughs) but yeah I like how that whole relationship ended between Dom and Janice mm-hmm. when they erased the phone total risky power move mm-hmm. totally paid off it's like did you forget who you're dealing with Janice like this is a tech whiz yes compared to Elliot she doesn't look like it but she is yeah she is in her own right she knows she knows enough to try and you know hold them off from from killing them and everything so yeah um, yeah, because Janice uses Dom's family as leverage to get make sure Dom does everything that they want her to do. And I love, you know, the scenes with Dom's mother as well, like mm-hmm. trying Trudy. to help her find, trying to help her find a nice a nice woman to to settle down with, and she thought Janice would be a good match. And I'm just like, gross. <laughs> Janice even mentions that in you know the later episode where she's got Darlene and Dom um, basically hostage in Angela's old apartment. Yeah, where she's just like, you know, your mother cares so much about your happiness. I don't know any other parent that would go to the lengths of hooking up their child with someone with the likes of me. Like your mom really cares. <laughs> like, she's yeah. such a psycho. I, I love it. Like she scares me. So yeah. much. Like I could do, see a total spinoff with her, you know, if she hadn't like gotten killed by that cool Irish dude. But Dom actually was the one that killed her, but Oh yeah, um, that's right, that's right. But the Irish dude killed all of her henchmen. That's right. Yes. Okay. Lucky Irish uh that yeah, lucky Irish bastard. 
Yes. Um, but you know, like she could have her whole like spin-off horror movie. And I totally buy it. I would totally buy that shit. Ooh, like a prequel, like Janice. Ooh, like how okay. Janice became Janice the taxidermist. Yes. To the dark army. <laughs> okay. So between the two handlers that we got this throughout the series, Janice and Irving, which one do you like more? Uh, Irving. Irving? Irving? Irving over Janice? Okay, wait, wait. Define the context of like. Like, Irving is more likable. I would hang out with the dude and like drink a beer. Uh, in terms of read his book, shit, I better do what this person says. Janice scares me more than Irving does, and Irving's a scary guy. But but you know, I'd read Irving's book. I'd chat about it with him. I'd drink a beer with him. I'd eat a burger. I don't care. I don't want to be anywhere near Janice. Like, and it's got nothing to do with taxidermy. Seriously. Stay the fuck away from me and everyone I know. Like that's that's what she does to me. And then, so in that respect, it's she like takes those. Me. It's like those, those like happy face kind of killers that smile as they murder you. Just delightfully oh, smile. No. Yeah. No. I, I know <laughs> she could totally have her own horror movie. She'd be a serial killer with whatever weird quirk she has, and I would totally buy that. Like, yep, that fits for you. I understand. Like, where did the Dark Army find these delightful, fun, terrifying psychopaths? Well, it makes you wonder <laughs> how, how many of them are out there. Yeah, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, they've got no. Dark Army had Janice, Irving, and Leon until he went uh, freelance. But it's like, how do you go freelance from the Dark Army? How would because why, he's fucking Leon. But it's like, why? How could the Dark like that? He's so good at what he does. You would think, like, as an employer, they would want to keep an employee happy. And well, maybe they realized in his case, the only way to keep him happy was to let him go. Because, you know, I don't think there's a person or a group of people that they could send after Leon and you know end up coming out victorious. No, and as if to subtly, indirectly, you know, prove that point. We've got the lucky Irish guy just totally mowing down all of Janice's cronies. Like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. And I so. loved, I loved lucky Irish bastards little phone conversation with Janice. Yes, that was so awesome. She starts to get all threatening and everything, like coming after, and he just interrupts her and he's like, Yeah, 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 I've heard it all before, love. And but like, <laughs> it's not bothered by her, not scared. He's just like, Whatever, you got nothing. It yeah. was great. <laughs> uh, I would have liked to see those two in a room together. Oh, God, yeah. But it was well timed too, because I mean, in some respects, the dark army kind of lost its direction. It's leader when white rose was like you know what we're playing the end game now fuck you guys Mm -hmm. i'm white rose deal with it yeah and then her new assistant i don't know that we ever got her name but if we did i failed to remember it yep same here and i didn't write it down but not in a whole hell of a lot but loved her because she was very like very like put her foot down with white rose which you didn't see like you saw we saw a little bit in white rose's last assistant slash lover yeah um, where he was very persistent about not not dealing with elliot alderson and his world of bullshit and but we see up saw that even more with this female assistant 
when she's just straight up calls out white rose on a lot of her shit and then she just ups and quits because she's like you're not prioritizing the right thing basically yeah and and just like hands the ipad to white rose and walks off and i'm like can you just quit being white rose's assistant <laughs> how did she not uh, end up with a bullet in her head the end game right <laughs> i guess that just shows how far white rose had become from even initially herself with what her plan was and everything yeah and it, it just further went to prove that white rose was was unhinged yep yep starting to truly truly lose it and then with dom we did kind of cover a little bit with her ending her and darlene's ending after janice is shot in the head after uh dom oh being an amazing shot on the floor bleeding out and shoots that was amazing you're right oh. janice and the two other henchmen bam 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 isn't it refreshing out. to see a trained law enforcement person actually be able to shoot their gun effectively in tv shows yeah because like, normally they're as bad as stormtroopers yeah. <laughs> side note you watched mandalorian yes so suddenly now stormtroopers can hit shit like mandal like the mandalorian <laughs> i know and i was like where were these guys <laughs> like did they make some serious training changes? What the fuck? But then you go back, no, because that's not right either. Because then you go farther in the future with Ray, Ray's whole and controversial uh, timeline and and they can't shoot anything again. So it's like, what happened? How maybe, did they- Maybe it's something with the Beskar armor. I don't know. Maybe it draws- what? it draws laser fire like it it causes the guns to point at it i guess I, I don't sure <laughs> i don't know but yeah like it's the same thing in cop shows like mm -hmm. okay lucifer it's cop show uh, uh, let's call it what it is yeah cop show meets supernatural okay <laughs> um they can't hit people when they need to but then every once in a while they'll like have a straight down middle of forehead shot kind of thing it's just like god what <laughs> but they're so trigger happy so many bullets yep so to see efficiency and marksmanship from a cop in a tv show i'm like whoa and she's bleeding out wow mm -hmm. she is like super cop <laughs> yep all of that still manages to uh call it all in and get the ambulance and tells Darlene to run and encourages Darlene to find Elliot, stop right. Dark Army, stop it all from happening, stop, stop all the baddies. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like Dom and Darlene had quite the reckoning throughout this whole story arc. Mm -hmm. But my favorite moment of theirs was later on in the series when Darlene, you know, makes it so everyone has a shit ton of money by mm -hmm. <laughs> eCoin. Um, of course, which is really funny to talk about now with all that bullshit that's happening in the stock market because of Redditors and stuff. It's just, it's oh, kind of, I know. but, um, you know, I just love that whole interaction between them because Dom is like, I don't know how to feel about this. And Darlene's just like, woohoo, I finally did something good. <laughs> it was super cute. They're at the park 
and Darlene's about to hit the button to do the transfer. And she's not telling Dom what's going on. Right. You know, Dom knows that the hack happened, that they were successful and everything. Right. But she doesn't know what the kind of plan B to that plan was. And Darlene's just like, just watch, just wait, just give it a minute. And Dom kind of starts freaking out like, yeah, you just can't stop doing illegal things. It's like a fetish for you. Like you've got this like all good cop detective FBI agent character. And then a character that just can't help but dip into doing the illegal hackery things. I just thought it was so cute. Just the two, the the opposites of those two coming together and then sharing that happy moment of yeah and I feel like um it was like the odd couple and they could have had like an odd couple like life together and it would have been hilarious and toxic at the same time (laughs) so everyone gets a spinoff because now we need a Dom and Darlene odd couple style sitcom yeah we need the adventures of Leon (laughs) we need we need the odd couple Dom and Darlene edition yeah the uh Janice's (laughs) origin story yeah oh god I don't know if I could bring myself to watch that one but yes we do we need that (laughs) we need oh god we need like a mini series of Irving's retirement like how well does this book do (laughs) yeah you know tour of um airport gift shops (laughs) does it does it spin does it spin off into a movie is does he become the next jk rowling Oh God, no, <laughs> no, not her. <laughs> right, not her, but you know, in terms of becoming a billionaire author, like that's what I'm talking about. Not yeah. in terms of the God awful term. She needs to, ta- she needs to stop here. talking. She needs to stop. She needs to stop. Somebody needs to stop. Where is her handler? <laughs> yeah, no shit. Where's her Janice? <laughs> right, she needs a Janice. He needs the Janice. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there's, there's so much to like about this show. I think we've talked about least favorite episode in terms of how it fits into the show, but I want to talk about my least favorite moment. Okay. I don't know what it was for you, but for me, it was Elliot drugging the coffee. Yes. Okay. Elliot does some really terrible, terrible fucking shit. And this is the peak of it is when he dupes. Olivia, her boss is one of the big kind of big wigs, and he's using Cypress her to bank. get the Cypress Bank. Cypress Cypress Bank. Yes, thank yeah. you. Um, yes, her boss works for the works at they all work at the Cypress Bank. So he's using her to kind of get those credentials, and so he can get what he needs to do the hack. And he goes about it just for I hate it. I hated that. I hated what he did to her, how he treated her how he was not even remorseful in a sense he was I think a little bit because he kept trying to excuse it away yeah believe his own bullshit of well if you didn't work for them then I wouldn't be here and blah 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 like totally pinning it all on her he was an abuser in this episode he was yes yes he was and he drugged the coffee she's a, a recovering narcotics addict basically pill addict i'm not a religious person as we've discussed but in this episode i was praying that he was lying about drugging the coffee 
and he just tricked her because that would make it a little bit easier to swallow. But we never got that. We never got that that uh, consolation. So I'm I'm forced to believe to accept that he legit drugged the coffee and I this is the first time where I'm just like dude I, I I hate Elliot right now I hate him yeah how could he do this everything that's happened to him in his own history as we find out you know not too long after this how could he have done that to her if he lived through all that mm-hmm. and I'm just why like okay it worked fine it worked we have that consolation but at what cost this is the worst moment he has had this is the worst thing in the entire show that he does yeah and he does so let's not you know pretend otherwise he does some awful things to people he supposedly cares about he is directly and indirectly responsible for the deaths of a lot of people Mm -hmm. but this was worse than any of it yeah i I felt so bad for her and yeah, it would have, it would be kind of nice to think that he didn't actually drug the coffee, that it was a lie. But like you said, we didn't get that, you know, kind of clarification or anything. And it would seem to me that he still did. I don't think he would have considering how much pressure he felt he was in where he had to actually do that, take those drastic measures I don't think he had the foresight to be like, no, I can just lie about it and trick her that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he just, because originally right. when he approached her, right. he was, he was going to try and be fairly honest and upfront, but then Mr. Robot stepped in at, you know, at the bar and kind of laid it out a bit more smooth. So at least Elliot, you know, get that foot in the door of Elliot being able to at least sit down with her and have a drink with her and, and have a chat. Right. And then, you know, Mr. Robot trying to stop him throughout that whole process. And then, oh, yeah. I remember walking away after that episode and just feeling like, what the fuck? Like, it took me a long time to process it. Because, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, messing with an addict. He, she's going to get her kid taken away. Yeah. Uh, it's like, there's so many layers of this is, this is so wrong. How could you mm-hmm. do this? Like, Ah, so angry, like yeah. almost like angry crying. Yeah, because at one point Olivia says to Elliot, um, you know, because Elliot's like, you know, these people, Cypress Bank, Deus Group, whatever, he's like, they're all monsters. And Olivia tells him that he is a monster and the worst kind, because he doesn't know that he is one. Yeah. And absolutely, especially in that moment, mm-hmm. he is the worst version of himself. Yeah. It's disappointing. Like he redeems himself to a degree, you know, in the in terms of the voyeur's perspective throughout the rest of the series, especially when, you know, you the very next episode, you get the revelation of his trauma, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that was really well-timed because it allowed you to forget about what he just did to someone else. But hands down, his worst moment and, you know, the most emotionally upsetting moment for me in the entire show yeah because she was so innocent innocent and then just dragged in and put through the ringer and it's like we never know what happens to her 
Does nope. she lose her kid? It, we, it's just because Elliot doesn't care, so we don't get to know. Yep. Oh, you had to bring that up. <laughs> I'm I sorry, but it, that. No, it, it needed to be, be brought it up. It needed to be said. <laughs> it, it it really did, and I think it should. You know, we talk about white roses, kind of emotional instability and being rushed and kind of pushed because her project is falling behind. You know, me, not meeting the deadlines and acting out irrationally. And, you know, clearly we see that happening with Elliot here as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like he didn't have moments in prior seasons that clearly build up to something like this. But still, his own twisted way, he was supposed to be the good guy. Yeah. So what was your favorite moment from the series? Ooh. As we just talked about our least favorite, let's, let's end on a positive note here. What was your favorite moment from the series? I think definitely one of my top favorites. I don't know if it's like my all-time favorite of this season. Season or series? Let's do season and series. Why not? So I guess that, oh, okay, okay, okay. So they've, they've cornered the dais group. And they've doxed the dais group. So Darlene has found a costume shop and gets all F society up and reveals the location of the dais group and all the information. So people start showing up and she's able to do the hack because dais group guys start coming out of the building. She's able to hack all their phones and everything. And she gets all the information. She gets White Rose's information from Elliot as well. And holy shit, that was a super tense moment as like Elliot's waiting to get mm-hmm. the thing to send it to Darlene so it can bounce off the cell towers and, you know, and cross-reference with the bank account stuff to find, narrow down White Rose's shit. And Deus Group guys, like their cars are finally starting to show up and it's just getting down to the wire. And then you see on Darlene's phone, 100 of 100 verified. So they, they've got all the information and I'm sitting on the couch and I yell, do the thing! And, <laughs> and she does the thing and the transfer is complete. And as that's all starting to happen and as those Deus group members start getting those notifications on their phone of overdrafts and everything, we see one Deus group member in particular being driven away, looking out his window and he happens to lock eyes with Darlene through the crowd. And she's just got that glorious look on her face. Like, I did this. I did this to you. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. So she gets a little bit of that kind of, you know, that retribution and and like letting them know that it was her, you know, very um, old lady Tyrell and tell Cersei it was me. Tell White Rose it was me. (laughs) Right, yeah. That between that and the largest redistribution of wealth in history. The very happy moment. Yeah. I mean, Um, and I'm always a sucker for a good twist. So all the little twisties and turns that we got throughout the whole series, first of Mr. Robot and the power of Elliot's mind and not and imagining that he's not actually in jail. You? It's hard not to uh, have a soft spot for those genuinely happy moments. And, you know, the whole distribution of wealth one obviously sticks out for me too, not just because this was the last season or anything, but 
Dom's reaction to it just made it like 10 levels better. Because, <laughs> you know, she's like the epitome of a lawful good character. And mm-hmm. I just, I just adored it. Like, she's so adorable, you know? Yes. <laughs> she's screwed up and, and kind of sad and lonely, but she's so adorable. She is. And I was happy for her ending of finally getting away. I was really hoping that her and Darlene were going to have that like rom-com airport together yeah. moment. And when it didn't happen, like the first time I watched it, when it didn't happen, I was heartbroken. I was like, no. Right? And I'm like, wait, why do I feel this way about it? They're not right for each other. What? But at the same time, you just wanted it to happen. I'm like, we're still conditioned by pop culture. <laughs> but you know, I liked that it didn't happen. Dom needed to take a break from putting so much pressure on herself. And Darlene needed to start putting pressure on herself. Like, seriously, I think what should have happened did happen there. And I, I really liked that for both of their characters, that they, they went in, you know, respectively positive directions. Because mm-hmm. they totally could have made the rom-com choice and, you know, just destroyed each other's lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've seen that they're perfectly capable of doing that to each other too I was gonna say they already did that so <laughs> yeah so you know I was really happy for their conclusion and I guess it was kind of nice in a weird way to get to see a happy Elliot too like as totally trippy as the whole thing was it's just like this is what he would be like if his life was not so horrible like you know he's still successful he's just as intelligent and everything but he's well adjusted and look how happy he is he's singing in the shower it's like oh you know he doesn't have crippling social anxiety as hoodie elliot said and yeah the life that i've envisioned normal people having and okay i'm sorry you continue to answer the question i was going to jump to a new question yeah you're right that's elliot's perception of normal which is interesting because he's never actually experienced it. So how would he know? Is he influenced too much by pop culture? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. It was it was it was nice. And for you know, for an episode, we got to genuinely think maybe that machine actually worked. Like yeah. maybe he didn't stop it, but look what it got him. Wow. You know? And that was a really that was a really fun moment as an audience member to experience. Like wow (laughs) this really worked for him (laughs) uh and then watching him kill himself was just really trippy oh that that was dark as fuck too where he's just i know it wouldn't be mr robot if it didn't have that dark note in it right oh yeah (laughs) um just this this season is probably my favorite season Mm -hmm. in terms of its emotional impact like you are on an emotional roller coaster like the monologue, the Trump monologue from season three is still my favorite monologue. I love that. I will watch that scene over and over again when I watch that episode. Cause it's just like, oh, I think I missed something here. And I really want to remember how we delivered this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just being totally geeky about it. Well, and another little like uh, Trumpy Easter egg is uh, when we're kind of making our way through the dais group when they're in the like big ballroom or whatever, mm-hmm. we come up behind this rotund fellow with bad hair and tiny hands totally trump yeah it's got like the bad hair like you can even tell from the back and everything and i don't think there's any kind of voiceover or dialogue for that character but it's clearly clearly 
the orange yeah package, you know? I appreciated that um so what for for me with the season I'm a sucker for a good story and we definitely got that from this whole show but I feel like we especially did in this season because we got to figure out how White Rose came to be. We got to figure out how Elliot and Mr. Robot and us as his personality came to be. There was just so many things that were brought to light in really beautiful examples of storytelling that um, it's it's hard not to like them like and look at them fondly even when they were potentially terrible moments, you know? Um, so I think that's my favorite thing of, of, about the show is that it told a oftentimes terrible story in really engaging ways that had you cheering for people who are not objectively good people. Mm -hmm. um, like it took the whole anti-hero thing and put a new spin on it. And I just really loved it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this was, I, I completely agree with the storytelling, as you mentioned, it told an amazing story in such a different, unique, like you said, engaging way. Um, I think in past recordings, I've talked about rewatching the series, some seasons a little easier than others, but remembering getting to this last season and remember and looking forward to it and remembering some of the bigger points and being excited for it totally pays off because even second time around, it was still just as impactful, just as emotionally gut-wrenching, mm -hmm. um, so well-written, beautifully shot. The soundtrack throughout the series run is fucking awesome. The way they use music to further the story, like any good show and movie does. But I don't know, there was just really something about the choices for this series that just fit so perfectly. I don't know how else to describe it or try to phrase it, but between the more theatrical kind of maybe cheesy music, dramatic music for like episode seven of a kind of a theater-esque yeah. layout, incorporating that when they do the hacky things and it's a bit more of that electronic, kind of techno-y sound beats or whatever but then yeah. incorporating like happy-go-lucky songs and happy-go-lucky moments and it just they they really knew how to build like that ambiance I guess of you're right they the use every tool possible to influence your perception your emotional reaction to things they did it so well and the way they used music in places to drive the story reminded me of how they filmed that movie, Baby Driver. I didn't see that one. It's a good movie. I mean, it's creepier to watch now that everything with Kevin Spacey came to light. So keep that in mind. Oh, yeah. But instead of adding the soundtrack to the movie in post-production, they filmed to the soundtrack. Hmm. So the movie it is driven by the music and so is the main character. So it's really, really cool how they did it. And, you know, cinematically, it made for a really awesome movie experience. But I couldn't help think of that at certain points in season four, especially because music seemed to have a more straightforward plot-driven role rather than being, an, you know, 
addition of later points. I agree. I think the music, I mean, I, like I said, it was done very well throughout the whole series, but it seemed like maybe season four, some of it just stood out a bit more. And mm -hmm. I mean, we do have that one episode where no one speaks. So it's everything else is used. Yeah. yeah. So maybe, maybe that was part of the reason. Um, and I forgot to mention too, that this last season, Elliot doesn't talk to us, the voyeur, Mr. Robot does. I know, and that's what I was like, oh, he can see us too. <laughs> There's so many intricacies here with these personalities. It's just really, yeah. I really liked that. I like, it was just a slightly fresh take on their narration style of this, of this show. But yeah, I mean, all around, this is one of the best shows that I've watched in a long time. Totally. It's set up perfectly. It runs so well it's so well planned yeah to the smallest of details like it's just great it is and as we've talked about there are some storylines that maybe a little more disappointing lackluster than others but when we look at the series as a whole they all did serve their purpose they all helped drive the storyline drive the points as, as sad as and as incomplete as some of them may have felt like joanna's yeah, but at the same time, I mean, with her story, with Tyrell's story, I guess in a way it's realistic. I mean, not everyone's story, even if it starts out great or they do grand things at some point in their lives, ends well or ends with any sort of remarkability. So maybe that was the point of that. I don't know. It'd be a really good question to ask them if one ever had the opportunity. Yeah. But you're right, you know, because we're so used to any character we've had spend enough time with to invest in to some degree, getting some satisfying conclusion to their story. To not have that is hard to deal with. It is. It makes me grumpy. <laughs> and that's why everyone hates Game of Thrones ending. <laughs> I think that's gonna do it for us and Mr. Robot. What a wild fucking ride. Thanks for I the know. suggestion. I loved this show. I've totally forgotten that I suggested this show to you. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, you're right. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> God, what seems like forever ago, but it does. But to be fair, we did have two, our first, I think, two initial recordings. Well, the first one was good. The second one, not so good. And then I lost them both. So we had to start yeah. our recordings over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. I don't mind talking to you mind talking to you either but i think at least for this episode i'm done talking to you fine so. <laughs> tolerance only lasts for so long exactly but uh for everyone listening uh thanks for listening <laughs> uh <laughs> safe and keep streaming bye. say goodbye bye <laughs> <laughs>